Yeah, we just started back last night, actually. The first rehearsal in the new year, three weeks late. It should have been our does third. That include, does that include NAVA prep? We just started our NAVA prep last night. And we, we were nice. supposed to start at the beginning of January. We took two weeks off because of the, you know, the rising numbers of Corona cases. And then we, you know, we just came to the conclusion that, well, life is going on and we're the ones missing out because we're not participating in it. So we just, we just jumped back into it. Um, it. It's funny because one of the things that I, that I made sure I did because, because of all this is I just, I went in early and spaced the band out more and put a couple of feet between everybody. I don't know if other people have experienced this, but the band was much louder. <laughs> I mean, much louder, like, you know, and I, and this is something that we've always known is that if, you know, if you allow the sound to resonate from player to player and then, and then gel, um, it, it is going to be louder. Um, and, you know, brass bands typically sit shoulder to shoulder really close so that stuff is all gelled in together, you know, so, so I was, I was just like, wow, this is really loud. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is cool. I actually like this, you know. <laughs> Hey, so welcome everybody. We're in um we're in a brand new episode. We're in a brand new year. It's a brand new season. We've already recorded one of these things, but this episode, though I am joined, of course, as always, by my fabulous co-hosts Amy and Tony. This is Amy's episode. This is this one we're gonna talk about Amy the whole time. Nothing but her specifically. We're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna get into the weeds of everything. <laughs> Are we going to call this the I'm, one with Amy? I'm slightly nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that in mind, so we we already did, I think it would be silly because I think in our, our Zero episode, the one that we did with just the host, we talked about like our backgrounds and like our education and how we got into that and everything. So I don't want to necessarily do a TLDR of like, that i don't want to hear your cv um what i would be really interested is who is amy now in january of 2022 like what are you up to what are the projects you're doing you know what bands or ensembles are you playing with all that sort of a thing because i know because i i have the misfortune of trying to schedule anything with you um that you're up to a lot of things so what give me a kind of like a hit list of all the various things you're up to right now i'm i'm always up to a lot of things um well, right now, um, I'm doing this great um, transition with my online teaching. Um, I've, I've basically filled up my available schedule. Um, I, I teach um, five nights a week at this point, um, and I don't really want to expand past that um, because I have one night where my dress rehearsals tend to be, and I have one night that I just plain old want off. <laughs> uh, so... I teach five nights a week at this point, and my my real time teaching is pretty much filled up either with in person euphonium lessons or online brass piano music theory type lessons. So what I'm doing right now is I'm expanding into more asynchronous material, um, and so I'm I'm teaching um, partially on a platform called OutSchool, and it has. Um, it has about a million users, million plus kids that use this. Um, and so what I do um, is I have 
asynchronous classes, asynchronous theory classes, asynchronous um, um, piano stuff. Um, I have, and then um, what other ones do I have? I have asynchronous like music and art stuff for the little kids where we play, I play some music and I pause it every now and then and talk a little bit about, you know, the, the big composers will listen to like, we'll have a Bach week, we'll have a Beethoven week, we have a Hildegard week. Um, and they create art while they're listening and uh, to the music and creating. Um, and we're, we're talking about, um, we're quote talking because it's not in real time. And then they post their, their artwork and, and I create some discussions with them asynchronously. Um, and it's a great way for a lot of kids to learn, especially right now when they're, they're home. A lot of kids are on uh, our home for quarantine or there are lots of homeschooling kids out there or in Australia, they're on summer break. Um, so I do a lot of that um, to kind of expand what, what I can offer um, because as I said, I've kind of run out of time. And then I have um, a platform on OutSchool that's called, um, that's like uh, clubs. So it's like, it's almost like, Aaron, you're raising your hand. <laughs> yes, teacher, <laughs> yes. sensei, I have a question. Um, yeah. So I'm just, I'm really curious about, so OutSchool, it's, yeah. so it sounds like it's like just an online teaching platform. Like people come into it. So it's not like a, like a Skillshare where you have, like filmed yourself doing a class for a period of time it's more of like you're teaching a class at this designated time and they log into it and and that sort of a thing right yeah it's okay. linked up it's linked up with zoom um and the people the teachers who are on it they they're vetted they have background checks they're interviewed they do teaching samples so like everyone on it is a, is like a bona fide teacher and there are there are safety measures in place. All of all of the meetings are are recorded for safety, so that if anything happens, you know, parents are covered, teachers are covered. So they have they yeah, have I'm the poking. I'm poking through it now. It has like <laughs> like Tony. We can we can always we can take that ballet workshop that we were talking about. It has a ballet workshop for beginners, like I, right I on the headpage. Well, right you're you're college. over eighteen, so you're you're a bit out of luck. Oh, we can't do it. You, you can't do <sighs> it. I'm sorry. I looked young for my age. I thought I had the platform. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, just like like, whenever I get ID'd for something, yes. and I yeah. just like, if anybody under the age of twenty one has this hairline, I I'm so sorry for you and your genetics <laughs> and everything that I, you've had to go through. I had that issue. I had that issue. Well, I had that I had that issue once when uh, I was we went out after all of the juries were done at Rowan and they carded me and it was I was with all of the other brass professors and uh, I was like I was mortified and then to top it all up I had gone to the comedy club the night before so I did like the credit card and an ID in the back pocket deal so I didn't have my ID with me and so I said listen I said I said either I'm Doogie Hauser or I'm over, I'm over 21. I said, I can provide my, my, you know, my faculty ID to two different colleges. 
you know, and, and she said, who's Doogie Howser? And I that's, said, well, that's the key. That's how they knew you were over 21. You and I said, well, Howser it was, was a show. Yeah. It was a show that was on when I was young because see, I am over 21. And she was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, she had to Google goodness. Doogie Howser. It's like, oh, that was a show from the eighties. Yeah. You're old enough. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, I remember the eighties all three months of it that I lived uh five years five years the 80s all of them so what do you what do you put because i'm just curious because like you know the the amount like the diversity of things that you've done because you're you're teaching general music classes you also obviously teach your specified instruments yeah um but you also are an author we've talked about it on the Mm -hmm. podcast before Mm -hmm. um you've got an album out like you've played Mm -hmm. with brass bands like so like what's on your what, what do you like what's on your like business card like what do you call yourself (laughs) does it depend on who you're talking to and what you think they're most interested in like wait wait a minute do we do business cards still still right i don't i don't really i i don't have a business card anymore i think i kind of just let that go um i have what i on my on my bio i i put a I put a quote um because i think that four bars rest did it uh when i think they put it they summarized it well um so Amy Shoemaker Bliss is a pioneering spirit, performer, educator, academic, conductor, author. And I was like, that seems to that summarize. So pioneering it. spirit is what you put on there. Oh. <laughs> pioneering <laughs> spirit, comma, euphonium. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I basically, I try to figure out what hasn't been done and, and do it within, the, within music. Um, so there's something that is very specific and to at least my interests um tony i'm not sure where you're going to be landing on this one um but it's something that you know we have to wiggle around and we kind of experience secondhand through you um that you have to deal with and that's the fact that you are a parent of like younger children um and i'm recently married we've had that conversation we're gonna pull the goalie at some point uh, we know that's going to be a thing. So, uh, any advice, any warnings, any uh, any anything for me? Any tell me to stay away and just don't do it. We we have enough. No, no more people needed. <laughs> Procreation. It's not necessary anymore. That's on my business card. <laughs> well, I think I think. Um... It's it's an experience that's for sure. Um, I right now I think I think with us are with us you know Tony and Aaron and me like my kids have come to the forefront right now because my five year old has decided that he is suddenly a teenager, and my two year old has realized that well he is he is two, um, and so he's he's kind of you know freaking out about everything and and uh, throwing himself on the ground and refusing to go to sleep and all the all the things that two year olds do. Um, but really, I, I think I think having kids uh, has made me really efficient with my practice time. Um, and I think one of the one of the questions that was submitted to us was, you know, what kind of what kind of warm up routine do you have if you have like five minutes, if you have 15 minutes, if you have 30 minutes? My practice sessions are frequently like the kids are happy sitting in front of the TV. Go, go, go. <laughs> you have you have exactly however many minutes the kids are willing to, to watch Curious George. 
I, I literally think you have messaged me. Like, I've sent you a message, and you've gone, I'll get back to you in 20 minutes. I have, this is my only practice time. Yeah. Of yeah. the day. And, and nothing gets, nothing will get in the way of my practice time. I, I have these little blocks of time. Like, before we recorded, you know, I dropped my, my kids off, one at, at preschool, one at the babysitter for a bit, um, and um, I have, I had like 9.30 to noon. And so I got back and it's, it's, it's go time. Like, don't get in my way. I'm going straight towards euphonium. I will practice. Um, <laughs> so, um, and, and I think one of the things with, with kids is, um, I think in, in our country, especially we, we say, you know, the, the best place for a kid is, is at home and you should be with them all the time and you no know, sending them to the babysitter every now and then so that you can have a piece, you can have your peace of mind and get your professional time practicing or responding to emails or arranging that, you know, that piece that you've been working on. That's good for the kid. Um, and so at first I felt a little bit of guilt about it. And then I talked to other brass playing moms because there's a there's a great Facebook group called uh, Brass Moms, um, and we we talk about all this stuff. And um, you really don't need to feel guilty um, if you're a parent and you send your kid to the babysitter every now and then so that you can get some work done because it makes you more balanced um, as a person, and then you're going to be a better parent in the end. Yeah, but don't you like get tired? I I am always tired. Cause like, I'm like minorly inconvenienced and that's enough to knock me off of my interest of practicing. Like, I'll be like, ah, oh, I, I had to put some extra air in my tires at Wawa. I just, <laughs> I'm just going to cut the scales today. You know, that, that was the three minutes I designated to that. And then there it goes. Yeah. I, I will, I will like chug some coffee and sit down and practice. Cause I'm like, if, if I get. I'm, I'm good to go if I get more than five hours of sleep. That's just kind of like the state that I'm in right now. So if I, uh, if I get some time, I'm just going to, I'm just going to energize myself artificially <laughs> and just sit down and get as much work as I can. Are you, you the know. type of person that can function on five hours of sleep or are you one of these, I need seven, I need eight? I used to be someone who, who needed, uh, who needed seven or eight. Um, but I think my body just kind of adjusted. I usually get, I, I, I think six, if I get six, like I feel my normal self, if I get under six, then I'll probably find a, a way to doze off at some point during the day. So I'm like, I, I am so addicted to caffeine at this point. Um, because my kids are, are little and I, I, I had a conversation with one of my private students the other day. Um, and he was like, he was like, um, he said something like, oh, I only got like six and a half hours of sleep last night. I'm tired. And I said, I said, so did I. So let's, let's get going. <laughs> like, let's do this. And he was like, well, let's be like, miserable together. I, and, and I was like, I was like, you know, he, he said, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do any of this if, if I was this tired. And I said, I said, well, what's the alternative? I said, I, I, refuse to to not be a good parent to my kids and I refuse to give up my career and this is this is the alternative that we're presented that a few years you don't get enough sleep and you just tough it through <laughs> you, you, ever, you drink you ever, more caffeine yeah <laughs> do you ever find that there's a there's a 
point of lip of diminishing returns where like maybe like on this weekend well i'm not i'm gonna sleep in and i'm gonna make you know or you just get lucky like every two or three weeks you get a day where you know things just kind of slow down for you like like we're gonna have a snow day tomorrow you know yeah, down here in North Carolina. So, you know, things are going to shut down. You know, the stores are going to be out of food. People are going to be running and screaming like crazy people because two inches is coming our way. You know, the, the end of the world is coming. <laughs> you know? Oh, don't laugh, Aaron. If Florida got two inches of snow, you would see the, you would see the end of the world coming. All right, listen, <laughs> sir. We, it's, we, you guys act the same way over a hurricane. Oh, no, it's a cat, too. Got to batten down the hatches. We're like, is the Waffle House still open? We're good. <laughs> Wait, we, we base things on the Waffle House scale. <laughs> Waffle House is closed. It's a bad one. <laughs> if the wall is, it's a bad store. So Waffle House is a great gauge of things. Um, like if you're if you're in a neighborhood where uh, the Waffle House has all of the letters illuminated at night, one, it's not a good Waffle House. Two the uh that's like a 400k minimum uh annual salary neighborhood like you just know that right away if that's um, the case would anybody be going to that waffle house exactly that's the thing that's that's why it's so new they're like yeah. oh we need to we need to make sure that we diversify we got we got our applebees you know we got our chilies we need we need some breakfast food first watch nah let's do yeah. No, if wow. if you're in the 400k neighborhood, you're going to First Watch. You're not going to Waffle House. Let's be honest about that. Yeah, there's not a lot of avocado at at uh, Waffle that House. in Florida, sure. aren't you going to uh, another Broken Egg? You know, the Dick Vitale. You know. So that is a thing that has been popping up. Is that is that a thing? Because I've seen them. Yeah, another Broken Egg. It's a breakfast breakfast lunch place. You know, and uh, Dick Vitale used to talk about that all the time, being in Tampa. You know, where he would. He I've would, only ever seen two. Which I guess yeah. is a lot. Well, then go there. You'll see Dick Vitale there. I'm sure he lives there now. <laughs> Where's my autograph book? So <laughs> awesome, speaking baby. of speaking well, of uh, over over caffeinated. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, like, speaking <laughs> of being over caffeinated. So I got carded yesterday for and caffeine. What? No. So I bought. So Wednesday's my day to go to Gainesville. So I, I wake up at about five thirty. Roll up to Gainesville. I'm running on fumes. Like I like. You can you can ask Doctor V. She, by the time we get to brass band rehearsal, like at nine twenty, and we're playing Enter the Galaxies, like it's just yeah. I'm a corpse. Um, and I bought a Bang Energy drink in the morning when I got there, and then I came back around for another one uh, at about one. Yeah. Uh, if you all don't know this, Bang Energy drink. If you drink two, you are now um, you are now exceeding the medical limit of caffeine for the day. Um, what like is you the get to the point of like of caffeine. Uh, I forget what the milligrams are. I can, if anybody's really interested, I can look it up and we can post it later. But um, but you but like if you go to a gym, for instance, they will not let you buy two a lot of the time. Now, irresponsible gyms will let you do it, but um, and I knew, and there was a cup of coffee in the, between there. But that's when we get to like heart failures and stuff like that, like for especially for people who are like overweight and stuff. Um, and so she looked at me and she was like, "How old are you?" And I was like, "I'm like I'm like 32. What are you What are you doing?" She's like. Let me see your ID. And I'm like, she's like, I don't like doing this, but I can't legally stop you <laughs> from doing it. Did you have the shakes uh, already, or what? Like, why does she charge you for caffeine? I mean, I don't know. I mean, when you're when you're on a caffeine I'd high, like do you to, know? I'd like to buy this caffeine. 
it's it when you're on a caffeine high like that do you know i don't know i don't i don't do exactly. caffeine so <laughs> like i don't that's, that's how my band knows how fast are we going how fast are we taking my grandfather's clock today takes another sip of coffee let's go <laughs> <laughs> carnival events got real fast that rehearsal i know. <laughs> i'm lucky i i have never enjoyed or liked coffee so you know that that caffeine addiction is not something that I've ever really dealt with, you know. I just I have I have like a I'm I'm into matcha, so I'll have a I'll have matcha in the morning, um, maybe a maybe like a coffee or tea like halfway through the day, and then I usually will have like a coffee or tea before I start teaching in the evening because I've been watching the boys all day long, um, and then that's when I start teaching when I. <laughs> <laughs> when I finally survived watching two little kids all day and keeping them alive, then it's then it's time to start working. So I need some coffee or tea or something at that point too. Well, since we're all sharing, first off, best advice I ever got, if I can give this to anybody in the audience, this is the only good thing I'm ever going to share for y'all. Uh, the best advice I ever got was when I, when I was briefly doing a stint of like trying to join the Marine Corps and my recruiting officer told me just learn to like black coffee and i did at the time but he was like if you just do it because you never know if they're gonna have your sugars or your almond milk like the things that you specifically like in your coffee you never know if they're gonna have it but they will just have the coffee and also the less of a pain in the butt you can be the more people will appreciate you yeah uh, it's really like i don't i don't know if anybody else does this with their starbucks orders but i will order based off of the line and it's mostly just to be nice to those people. Like, if there's no one else there, I'll get something fun or fancy or whatever. Like, I'll, you know, I'll get a like an ice latte or something. Like, I'll get something that I can't make at home. But if there's a ton of people, can I can I just get a medium hot coffee? And they literally pour it and hand it to you, and you're walking past the like 20 other suckers waiting for their. Like, <laughs> have fun waiting for your yeah. vanilla bean latte, suckers. Uh, you can probably also go to McDonald's and save three dollars on that black coffee. <laughs> listen, it's a status symbol. <laughs> I, I did not get my master's degree to keep drinking McDonald's coffee. No, I'm kidding. You, if you, you drink if whatever you, you all want. If you didn't drink at Starbucks so much, you wouldn't need that master's degree <laughs> to, to enhance your Higher education would tell you otherwise. Don't don't you tear down this cult that I have joined, Tony. <laughs> but it's like coffee and cigarettes. If you smoke and drink coffee, you 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 need a you know a, a high powered job just to keep those habits going. <laughs> um so, Amy, <laughs> I want to do a little bit of a lightning round of some of your favorite things that you are totally prepared are for. A few of my favorite things. We're adding. That's not one of them. Um, uh, <laughs> favorite show tunes? No. You know, if, somebody <laughs> makes me mad, if somebody makes me mad, I, I, I do threaten to sing a whole musical at them. And they go, you can't, you can't sing a whole musical. And I'm like, I said what I said. You can sing a whole musical? Ba-da-da. Ba-da-da. Yes. Um, by, by the way, since you brought not entertaining, have you, have you seen West Side Story yet? I have, I have not. I'm afraid to. I'm no. afraid to. Go see it. It's yeah. amazing. Great. Genuinely. It is amazing. Genuinely. It, it, the re, it's really the good. reimagining of it is not as reimagined. Like the biggest thing that they changed in it is that the character of Doc, it, um, they put Rita Moreno, who is the original. Um, uh, she was in. Uh, yeah, and she's playing Doc's wife, and Doc's not there. He either passed away or he's somewhere else. But 
but other than that, you know, they still have the fifties thing. They still have the new, you know, so it's, it's not as reimagined as you would think it is. The music is spectacular. I, somebody told me that it was the New York Philharmonic did the soundtrack to it. Um, Gustavo Dudamel uh, conducted yeah, it. Uh, yeah, Dudamel conducted it. Um, the singers, the, are, they're all fairly unknown, but they are spectacular. Maria is just unbelievable. So, oh yeah, if you haven't seen it and you're, don't be hesitant, go see it. It is really, really good. Steven Spielberg killed it. That's the only thing that made me. So I was in the play and everything. That's the only thing that made me uh, excited for it was like seeing Steven's involvement in it. I was like, he typically knows how to handle nostalgia products pretty well, and he did. Yeah. Um, and there's and like, but I, I swear if. If the person who plays who played Raph and the person who plays Anita, if they don't get best supporting nominations, I will riot. They were phenomenal. <laughs> uh, Tony is actually the worst cast person of the entire thing. He, he's 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 pretty yeah. much the one who falls the most flat in comparison to everyone else around him. Yeah, and Raph just good. crushes it. Yeah. But so um, if anybody's sorry, curious, sorry about that I mean, that, um, <laughs> when I saw it, I was just like, wow. I you know, I was like, yeah, you know, I was supposed to go to California over the break and um, go to the Rose Bowl and visit my dad, who I haven't seen since before COVID. Um, and we were going to go to the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood and see West Side Story in the El Capitan. It was running through the holidays. And that all got canceled because of all the canceled flights and you know the, the coronavirus upsurge and everything. So we ended up not going. And the, the Rose Bowl was epic. It was the best Rose Bowl since, you know, since the USC-Texas game. And it was all just missed opportunities. Thanks, Corona. But thanks, Corona. Thanks, Corona. All right. So it's lightning round time for Amy. So a little bit of a lightning round. Um, I'm not timing it or anything, but I just wanted to, we're getting to know Amy a little bit more. Um, and so we're going to, I'm going to ask you some like brass band favorites for you. Um, so let's start with a pretty simple one. Let's, let's do, what is your favorite um brass band piece that you've played specifically that you've played which i know you've done the gamut but let's start there um and don't I feel like you're locking in because i feel like whenever i ask favorites especially to you crew you all go i have to make sure i pick my absolute favorite you can just go off the top of your head like it's not like we're going, going, this going through the mental rubric no um i favorite hands down is resurgum i've conducted it i've played it i've researched it i wrote paper in my my doctoral stuff on it and hands down favorite That's nice. do you have a favorite composer for brass band um i i don't know i've never really thought of that um no i, I you know what i don't think i i have a favorite i i like getting to know each each composer and i like Sometimes it's like putting on, you know, like your favorite hoodie. <laughs> you, you know, sometimes you need, sometimes you want your favorite hoodie and then you have the spark and the gram and, and stuff like that. And then sometimes you want something totally different and, and you, you grab some other brass, brass band composer that you haven't played before. And you're like, wow, this is like, you know, making me hear the relationship between these instruments in a new way or doing this in a different way. And I, and, and so I, I am equal opportunity brass band composer liker. 
Did you it's guys watch, um, she dodged that one, dude. She dodged. Well, that's that's what made me think. Um, do you guys did you guys watch the? I have, I'm one of those nerds. I have a Wob Play account and I use it frequently. Um, did did you guys watch this year's uh, Brass in concert? Mm, I haven't seen this year's. I saw a bunch of last year's, not this year's. I forget the gentleman who always hosts it. His name escapes me at this moment, but he. He's, the, oh, it's Frank Renton. There yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and he just kind of answered. He was answering questions from like Twitter and stuff like that, in between bands and this sort of a thing. And somebody asked him, they were like, "Who, who's your favorite between the two, uh, Philip Wilby or Mahler?" And he goes, "Well, seeing as Mahler's been dead for a hundred years, and Philip Wilby sitting right there, I'm going to say Philip Wilby." <laughs> <laughs> um, and that just Amy's response just made me think of that. Yes, Matrix, Matri Matrix dodged your way out of that one, which is talk about movies. <laughs> that one was not good. That movie was terrible. The new one. Welcome to our movie podcast where we talk about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my here, but my my favorite brass brass band composer is is the composer who writes more for brass band. Whoever is present in the room currently. Um, yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> what is the, all right? So you've also been involved. You know, we we've we've jokingly said on this podcast before that you know brass band's a drug, and once it get it gets in, included into your system, it's pretty difficult to get out yeah. to shake. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've moved to a new area and you're finding every way you possibly can to try to involve yourself in bands that are in your general vicinity. Um, what is it about brass band that keeps bringing you back? Um, I think. I think it all comes down to the the community. Um, I can play in a community band. I've I've played I've played in different ensembles all around. And you know, when I was in Atlantic, we used to joke that that these people just kind of when we had kids, they they just kind of became default aunts and uncles to my kids, you know. Um, and so I think I think it's that community that is always always seems to be there and if it and if it isn't there then then it is a just kind of like a it, it doesn't feel like a like a true brass band you know there's always like the pub hang afterwards or or you know helping each other out with fill in the blank um you know and i i think i think also selfishly as a euphonium player that's the place where i can go to actually be challenge with something other than <laughs> something other than playing the the tuba part and octave up um and so having that aaron's counting on his fingers i see him i don't know what he's i counting. i'm i'm bitter i just rejoin i so i want assistantship now and uh so i have to be in band oh so you're counting us all the time i forgot I forgot what it's like to have more than six measures of rest in a piece. Yeah. Right? I mean, it really... it's, it's real. I brought a I brought a euphonium stand to rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I think in a brass band everyone has a chance to to shine and it's and it's at all levels. Um and all instruments. And so we're all we're all you know, a lot more entertained by our parts. I mean, the cornets got to play a lot of notes before they get to play a lot of notes now. They probably, you know, haven't changed quite as much, quite as drastically as the as the low brass people. Our parts are incredibly boring sometimes in wind ensemble, and even more uh, in orchestra. Um, in a brass band, we have we have always have an opportunity to shine and and have something challenging. 
to tackle. So I like the mental challenge. I like the, the slight panic when NABA season comes around, when you get your, you get your part and you look at it and like, oh, <laughs> I have to learn this. And then as time goes by, you, you slowly tackle it. And then by the end, you feel super accomplished that you managed to learn something that, that the difficulty level would have been, you know, a recital of your own part for an ensemble. So you've, you know, you've accomplished a lot of things that I think would be highlight moments for any career. Um, I mean, literally, I mean, four bars rest. I mean, you just did a, a phenomenal solo or well duet at, at Midwest with the Athena Brass Band, which is an all-star group. And four bars rest said, you know, they called you like virtuosic. They like said all the nice adjectives that they possibly, <laughs> you know, that they always said. And like, you, you know, and that's like, you know, for, for almost anybody that'd be like, you know, that's, that's a highlight. That's going to be the best thing that happens in my career. And you've had, you know, a, a slew of these things. Um, but I know you and in, in the capacity that I know you're not done. So what are some accomplishments that you're, or you're still working on or that you hope to get done and in, in, in pertaining to the brass band space at least? Um, so, so Amy's brass band will be in Spanish. Um, I have to, I have to tackle the project. The next, the next few steps are, are going to be to get a few more eyes on the, on the Spanish text and make sure, because if you, if you don't know writing a children's book, somebody said, oh, you just wrote a children's book, like just meaning like a limiting factor of, of work. And we're like, you analyze every word of a children's book because when you have an audience with limited lifetime experiences, you can't throw new words at them. If you throw a new word at them, then, then their brain will just shut off. It, it doesn't make sense. The whole, the whole context of that section of the book doesn't make sense. So you have to figure out where your kid, you know, your imagined kid, how old is this kid who's reading the book? And what is their vocabulary? So doing that in English was one thing, but doing this in Spanish means that we have to, I have to have several eyes on the text of people who, who speak Spanish, who understand the, the reading, you know, the, the reading comprehension level of like a kindergarten through like second grader um, and who's familiar with brass band. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to be working on that and then figuring out a way to get that that book into the hands of lots of kids. Um, and then I also want to write a book, uh, uh, a bigger book, <laughs> um, where I put together um, firsthand accounts of the history of North American Brass Band. Um, and so that's a project that's going to take a very long time. So um, I don't she mention- She called it a bigger book. A bigger book. <laughs> An academic <laughs> textbook is what you're talking about. <laughs> a bigger book. We a, go from children's book. book to- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a way to that's a way to call it. Are you doing it on just British style brass bands in America? In America well, I'd like to get this done before I die. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, be, I'm yeah. It'll be a lot shorter than the British version of it. <laughs> um. So well, I think I think it's it's going to be the idea is. So when I was in when I was in history class as a kid, I really didn't like history because it was this this dead guy 
you know, led people to do that, led, you know, vast numbers of people to do this. And it was usually to, to, you know, this general, you know, led this battle and this, this general led, led this battle and this president did this. And I just didn't identify with that much at all. And so I kind of dismissed myself from being interested in, in history. Um, but it, it turns out that I'm interested in the little personal stories of history. Um, so I have um, random random side note. I I collect really old rings, and I can I can wear them because rings are very stable, and you can just wear them as rings. So I have I have I have a few rings. I have one that's like five hundred years old, one that's a thousand years old, and one that's two thousand years old. So you can just wear them. Um, but I love the idea that this was someone's ring. This someone wore this on their finger. I like coins too because that that same idea. Somebody, this was like a mundane object in someone's life. And so these big, huge, the way we tell history is kind of boring to me because it's like, you know, <laughs> this this big movement happened when in reality I'm I'm interested in what the average person was doing. <laughs> so so by collecting stories about uh, about little things from brass band, the, the stories that make your brass band unique, if we put enough of them together, then when you read through them, then you get the big picture from a whole lot of little pictures. And so that's that's the idea. That's interesting. You ever notice that when somebody thinks like, who did you used to be in history? It's always somebody famous, you know? Well, the reality is, is that you were probably just a peasant farmer. <laughs> you certainly Who are you? Were not, you were John. Not, you were not Tsar Nicholas. You, you, right. you, you were some sharecropper and, and you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> what were you in a past life? Well, at my age, probably just John the mechanic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. <clears throat> so before... <clears throat> Sorry. So before we uh, we we completely wrap up, I wanted to bring up something that came across. I you know just in my daily scroll through Facebook or whatever. Um, because <laughs> um, you know you you pop up on my timeline a lot, and you said something last or, or like you know a couple uh, or well I guess last year, but during the holiday break, uh, you said Sometimes. something. I said something yeah. sometime. Yeah. Well, I have the date right here. I'm just I, and uh, yeah. and I wanted to bring it up, and I'm gonna. So, you do you? I, I don't know if you remember this post or if you're okay with me sharing this post. That's fine. If not, I can edit it out. Um, but I think this is a really cool mindset that you had, of you know, and, and it's something very human, uh, in that like, oh, I didn't get the full stars. You know, I didn't get my A plus review. And it can make us feel bad about a very significant project in our lives. Um, and you mentioned kind of here that you had like a transition of thoughts and how silly it is to have that thought process and stuff. Um, what, what, <laughs> and you gave yourself a nice little review, which I've listened to this album and I would give it the same review. Um, what, you know, what's that mindset? Like what, like, what was that transition? Because I'll be honest with you. I did not submit my first album for review. Um, and because my next album is going to be very academic, I'm going, I have to, and I'm very, very nervous about that. I'm, I'm very afraid of showing my dirty laundry to people. 
um, <laughs> in so many ways. Even though I know that people have access to my album, like they can get a hold of it. I told them to. I asked them to buy it. So people are gonna have reviews of it. So what you know, what was that that process like? Just kind of learning or just like being happy with the thing you put out. Well, it was, I think, uh, immediately after my CD came out. So my, my CD came out um, literally the, the, the day my son was born, my second son. Um, and so I don't feel like I publicized it much after it came out because uh, I was in that, that sleep-deprived stupor that you're in for you know, a solid few months after having a kid. Um, so I remember... I did my best to submit it for, for some reviews and for some publicity stuff. And I remember getting the review, um, while, while feeding my son who was a newborn and, you know, I'm, I'm getting at this point, like two and a half hours of sleep and I'm like, I'm just kind of like, um, all this work that went into, into that, because, because when you put out, when you put out a professionally recorded album, um, first off, it's going to cost more than you expect it's going to cost. Um, and second, it's going to take longer than you expect it to take. <laughs> it's going to take an awful lot of work. Um, and so I, for some reason, I looked at the stars more than the actual review. Um, the actual re review, if I read it without, without the stars, the actual review was, was glowing. Um, the only thing that they said that was kind of questionable was why did I include the Elgar's romance? And there's, there's a really easy answer to that. <clears throat> I wanted to. <laughs> like, somebody told me once that you shouldn't, you shouldn't drill home a theme with every single piece in a recital. And so I was like, I don't want to drill home color and movement with every single thing. So let's put in just a beautiful piece that I like <laughs> um, that also the ABRSM put on their syllabus uh, for euphonium. So I thought I can make it useful. I like this piece. And uh, I think it would be just kind of a, a, you know, something to go off of with the other pieces. So that was really the only thing that they said that like, what is this? Um, but the, the review itself seemed totally like glowing and it was, those darn three and a half stars at the top that I kind of was like, well, I don't want to share it because I got three and a half out of five stars. And then, um, my friend got, um, was it nominated for a, a Grammy and his review <laughs> got what, like four stars or something. And I was like, I was like, wow, like these, these stars really don't mean much. <laughs> Um, and so I finally just got over it and shared it, I think like two plus years after the CD came out. Maybe they should just get rid of the star system altogether. I think they should because, because their opinions, their actual opinions and, and discussion of the album meant a whole lot more than, than this. And visually three and a half stars looks like an awful lot less than four stars. Mm-hmm. Like when you give a half star, it looks smaller. So I just thought, I finally just got over myself and got over my ego and was just like, you know, I'm moving on. Here's this review that I've kind of not publicized at all until now. Maybe they shouldn't even be stars. If they're going to be anything, they should be little gramophones. 
Three and a half gramophones. They should just review. What's a gramophone? They should just review an album. You know, like we don't need to like you know. Is that what you play tapes on? No, it's before tapes. <laughs> it's what the Grammy is. <laughs> the Grammy is named after the gramophone. It's grant. It, are the Grammys? Those, is that on? Um, is that on television? It's music. Is that thing old pe- is that that thing old people watch is television? <laughs> oh man, it's it's actually getting increasingly hard. I had this. This is actually a beginning band book. And like they'll have stuff like folk songs and stuff like that that like mm-hmm. we all know, mm-hmm. and then they'll I'll be like yeah you know this song right and it'll be something like very trivial like, not like not like to the level of old McDonald but like old Lang Syne for instance and I'm like you know what the song this is right and they're like, it's like a fourteen year old I'm like it's UVA's fight song, um, which it actually is I kid you not old Lang Syne is one of their fight songs I'm not messing with you one hundred percent is. Field goal. Ba, da, 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 da. Yeah, it's because they only score once a year. <laughs> hey. <laughs> they're too bu- they're too busy being smart. I have a I have a special place in my heart for UVA since I had a uh, actually had a tumor in my ankle that they removed. I was supposed to have those like Forrest Gump things, you know? I was supposed to have yeah. those braces and they were able to like handle it really well. So I've I I say nice things about those people over in Charlottesville. Um, now driving in Charlottesville, never do that. Well, you survived the lightning round. You survived Woo. your scathing review. Woo. Here we are at the end. Before we wrap up, I do want to do the uh, the question of the week. This one was submitted by somebody, and I tried to find who they were. And I will make sure that if I find them in post-edit, I will pop your name up on the screen right there. I just did a little pop effect. Um, if I find out, if I can remember who this is. Because if you do submit a question to us and we end up answering it on the show, you will be get a little bit of shout out too. We will we will put you out there. But the question is, how do you manage nerves before a gig or something to that effect? Since this is Amy's episode, I'll let her think about it the most. So she gets to go last. So Tony, you're screwed. You get to go first. <laughs> how do you manage nerves before a gig? Because you conduct, man. Like that's like, it's like scary, scary, man. Yeah. People have to stare at your at the back of your head like the whole concert. No, people have to see my worst side, my backside, the entire concert. That's not, <laughs> you, you know, a lot of it is you just have to ignore the fact that there's anybody watching. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I conducting the band doesn't make me nervous, not even in a concert. Um, the thing that makes me nervous is talking to the audience. You know, I, I do not feel comfortable no matter how many people tell me, you, you sound great. You still, you sound fine. It would just, you know, you're doing fine with the emceeing. And I'm just like, I hate it. I can't, it's all terrible. Anytime somebody video records a concert, you know, they say, oh, can I record the concert? Yeah, and they send it to me. I was like, just make sure you just send me the music. Don't send me the the talking. (laughs) I don't don't wanna hear that, Um, you know? So, so, you know, that there's there's getting prepared for it is like, you know, I mean, for, for my performing, I'm a tuba player and I, you know, I play, church gigs and weddings and stuff that stuff's that's all that stuff's relatively easy so there's not really a lot of nervousness that goes into that um you know if there is something big that comes up that could potentially have nerves on it is you just got to make sure that you're you're rested um you're not cramming into it um you're hydrated and then you you mentally are just like well i'm going on with it and you just got to plug through it it's 
you know, and then you sweat a little bit and then you go right through it. Um, you know, there's, I don't, I don't have any eat a banana trick or, you know, take beta blockers or any, any of that stuff. I just, I don't, don't really have any like that. It's just, well, you can't avoid it. You chose to do this. So just do the best you can. I also think, you know, that preparation is, is the cure for nervousness. Um, you know, if, if a lot of times your nervous nerves come from the fact that you may not feel like you're ready to do it. Um, and, um, and I think, and I think there are people out there who are always nervous. And I think there are people who are never nervous, you know, like, like I can imagine, you know, can you imagine Bud Herseth being nervous about anything, you know, when he, when he has to play, you know, I mean, everything he plays is exposed and he never misses. So there's obviously no nerves going on. He's got ice, ice water going through his veins. <clears throat> so he's calm and cool and collected. And there's lots of musicians that are like that. And I'm not one of those, unfortunately. Um, but I, but I, I do just make sure that I just, you know, I just put my head down and go at it. And my number one trick is to ignore that there's an audience. Um, sometimes being a tuba player, I get stuck like backstage. I played a chamber orchestra gig two weekends ago. I was literally off stage. <laughs> You couldn't, you didn't even know I was there. <laughs> so, I just made sure I honk loud enough every once in a while to say, Hey, there's somebody back here. <laughs> so that's, well, that's, I, think, I don't have a great, I don't have a great answer for that. Unfortunately. I think telling people with Nava season coming up to stay hydrated is really important, especially you folks in championship section where you have to play two nights in a row. So on that Friday night, <laughs> I think I think you've got a Saturday coming up. Two drink maximum. Two drink maximum. But when you say hydrated, not hydrated with beer, that's not. That's the thing. You got like that exactly. You gotta you gotta make sure. I'm I'm just saying. You know, as as much as much as us lowly first and second section people are gonna be like, yeah, we're done on. Let's go. Let's go do that. Yeah. Keep calm. After 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 Saturday. Um. (laughs) So for me, um, so I always, I always try my best to play it cool. And like, whenever I'm in those situations, like I try my best to like be like not showing it. I'll never forget when I had, um, when I had my hernia surgery, this was like when I knew like, Hey, you're not the guy you think you are. When I had my hernia surgery, I was fine. My mom was there. Cause she had to give me the drive. She had to drive me. I was like 22. I was pretty young to have one, but, um, and, uh, I was like, cool, calm and collected. Everybody's asking me if I'm okay. I'm in the gown. I'm in the bed. We're like, we're good. We're fine. They're taking my vitals. Everything's good. And then like, I'm, I'm on a heart monitor. Cause they're going to put me through anesthesia. So they're going to, you know, they got that thing. And then when they start to roll me, I start sweating and my heart beats like this. And I'm still trying to like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. This is, we're, we're good. We're fine. Right. <laughs> and I'll <laughs> never forget. I've never had a moment of instant relaxation and I'm not saying this is my trick. I've never had a moment of instant relaxation. Like when the doctor realized I needed morphine and just kind of <laughs> put that into my IV drip. And then I just like, <sighs> right. And, but that was a moment of realization of like, so I'm not as cool morphine. and calm that I think. So it's morphine. That's how you get it. It's not morphine. It's not sweet, sweet. It's not sweet, sweet morphine. Um, <laughs> oh God, this is going to be taken out of context. Um, but I, I, I had the realization of, like, I am not the, like, ice in my veins person that I thought I was. I get nervous, all that sort of a thing. And having just knowing that, knowing that about myself was okay. And then as a performer person, taking that knowledge of just, like, knowing, okay, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm just not that person. And then 
exposing myself as much as I could. Uh, there's a there's a famous quote out there by some musician who means more to the world than I do, um, and they say that um, they they say that you don't get good at being nervous. You just get good at being. You just learn how to be terrified or something to that effect. And that's it. pretty much it. Is the more I've going. Yeah, and the more I expose myself to like you're gut like there are times that you're going to be uncomfortable. There's times you're going to be nervous, and just knowing what my body does. Anybody who has the misfortune of going to my recital next week, um, you will you will see me drink a lot of water on stage because I get really bad dry mouth, especially in the state of Florida because air conditioning is going and taking away a lot of the moisture. Um, I just that's just me. If you all see me on at Naba, you will see me. Dr- I'll have like three or four water bottles with me. I'll have like and other people have a mute that they have to take out of the bell. I'm gonna have like four water bottles, like a case of it that I just take out. It's just the way it works for me. If you need um, to, you can empty your spit into your water bottle and just keep keep the water supply going. Yeah, I hear that's more <laughs> environmentally friendly, right? <laughs> friendly, environmentally friendly, yes. Uh, Aaron friendly, maybe not. Um, but yeah, that was really it. It's just like knowing how my body is going to react and being comfortable with that. And instead of panicking that I'm shaking or something, panicking that I, like just knowing that these are things that are going to happen and knowing how to deal with those things ahead of time and being prepared for it in that way. All right, Amy. Okay, I'm give totally us the best advice. I'm totally different from you too. <laughs> I so um I I can do I do a lot with getting myself in the right mental state to go on on stage. Um and so I so when I was <clears throat> when I was an undergrad, I realized that sometimes when I was performing, I was in like a different mental state. I could focus better. I could I could handle what was coming at me better, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and after uh, after a while, I started getting better at putting myself in this focused mental state. I would meditate before I go on stage or something, um, and. So I kind of, I labeled it to myself. I called it, I think I called it like hyper-focus mode or something. Like I can just like hone in. I'm still nervous, but nervous, but the nerves I managed to mentally put in like the background more. Um, so it's just kind of replacing that, you know, if the nerves are in, in the front and the music is in the back, then, then the nerves are my main focus. But like, it's hard to describe, but I but I learned to put the the nerves behind me so that they're still there, but they're just kind of like a little thing in the background. And so through like my master's degree, like I was still working on kind of figuring out how to put myself in that state. And I could figure out, I kind of developed like a few ticks that I can do to like meditate to myself, even if I'm just backstage. Um I can, I, I figured out how to, how to just kind of close my eyes and take a few deep breaths, um, and get more, more focused, get my, my heart rate under control and everything. Um, and then, um, in my, when I was, when I was at school at Rutgers, um, my, um, my, one of my music ed, uh, professors, cause I took like supplemental music ed stuff. Um, while I was there. And he talked about someone, um, I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize to anyone who actually knows how to, how to say his name. Um, but I've only read it. Um, but his name's Mahai Krishnamahai. 
Um, and he wrote a whole bunch about uh, flow state. And I realized at that point that I was, for big performances, I was essentially putting myself into flow state. And I didn't know that I was doing it. <laughs> for years, I'd been doing this. Um, and it's not for every performance, but it's, it's, you can bet that when I come out on stage at NABA, I, I'm in that mental state. You'll be in flow state? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and so what it is, is everyone has been in it at some point. It's the, it's the state when you're, when you're practicing and you kind of lose track of time and you get really focused on your music. That's, that's essentially, that's flow state. That's what you were in. And so if you can harness that, you know, it took me, it took me probably, I don't know, five or six years to start figuring out what, you know, so when I'm backstage before big performances, if anyone's listening to, to this, <laughs> if anyone's listening to this, you know, if, when people are listening to this, and if you have a big performance with me and I, and I disappear and just kind of close my eyes before I go out on stage, that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm kind of taking some deep breaths. I'm kind of focusing my mental energy and then I go out there and um, I'm still nervous. <laughs> the nerves never go away. <laughs> the nerves never go away. Um, but at least I can kind of put them kind of in the background a little bit. Um, and it helps me to focus more on what I'm, what I'm doing and what I'm, you know, so the, the audience kind of disappears a bit. Um, the music comes to the forefront and I can... I can uh, pay attention to what I'm doing a little bit more. Um, if I'm in a recital, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the first piece of a recital. I'm going to be still really stinking nervous. <laughs> but then after the first piece, um, I tend to get I tend to either be able to get into flow state or I can I can at least enjoy myself enough at that at that point because I've proved to myself that I can I can play and I'm not gonna sound like an idiot. <laughs> So you would um, prefer to be at NABA and play the choice piece and test piece on the same program so you can get better and get into your flow state as the performance goes on. No, no, especially not in championship. Holy cow. No, <laughs> no, I just, we, when, when we were in that, when, when I was in Atlantic, we, we labeled each other as, as people who were nervous talkers and needed to be social before we went on stage. And, and people who needed to be alone before we went on stage. And so the people who needed to be alone, we kind of just left them alone. That was one of, that was, that was me. That was a few other people that we just kind of, you know, people knew don't bother these people. They're getting focused. They're kind of getting into the right, you know, headspace. And then there are some people that if they're left to their own, to their own devices, are going to think too much and then they're going to they're going to panic if they don't have someone to talk to. Yeah, Aaron's waving. That's him. That's so, him. Yeah, it doesn't surprise oh. me at all. <laughs> if I'm not so, talking if I'm not talking the voices start. <laughs> so if you if you know who you are, you can you can plan ahead because the people it turned out that the people who didn't want to be talked to were getting annoyed at the talkers. <laughs> so if they we if we figure backstage Right. So if you figure out who wants to talk and who wants to, who wants to, to be silent, you just kind of disappear to your corner of the, of backstage area. And we could, we could get ready in our, in our own way. And um, then, you know, last minute we'd get in our line and the, the talkers would, would be quiet <laughs> and the quiet, 
the quiet people would would understand if they're cracking a few last jokes, you know. Um, but that's how I get into the right mental state. And I would I would encourage everyone to read a read up on flow state um, and see, um, you know, in the very least, when you're practicing and you get into that point, you know, see if you can stretch how long you're focusing like that and and begin to harness it. Um, I mean, I'm not doing that. It's exhausting uh, to do that for a long time, so I wouldn't do that. But like when I was in when I was in labor with my first with my first kid um, with a with a failed epidural, <laughs> um, I was I yeah my body just apparently wait they can failed. fail. I was gonna say they can fail. They can fail. They can fail. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, they can. Um, turned out like my body processed it like at a. I don't know. (laughs) Jokes on you. Yeah. I want to be in pain. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so I would just, I would just disappear. I'd like, I just mentally just disappear into that mental state and just bye guys. (laughs) Um, It didn't work for, for an incredibly long time, but it at least bought me, you know, some time. Um, So I'd encourage anyone, you know, Mahai, Krishnant Mahai, we'll, we'll look him up um i'll get aaron the link so that he can post it um and he wrote several books kind of about what what it is but that's kind of helped me in my in my preparation uh before i go on stage just kind of being able to mentally get in that that place that's cool well this has been fun yes sound facetious i'm being genuine this is genuinely <laughs> was fun uh we I, I you know we we had the idea of having like these individual host podcasts because i listened to a podcast that you were a guest on yeah. and I was like, I've learned more about Amy listening to this one 45 minute show than I have in <laughs> hosting a podcast with her for six months now. Right. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're doing this and to learn more about everybody. Um, but yeah, that's our show. Hey, thanks anybody who is still listening to this point. If you haven't already, because we're really bad about promoting ourselves, if you haven't already, please make sure you are liking the things and subscribing to the things and doing all like the algorithm. Yeah. yeah. Just, and Hey, we also have, I, I I'm going to I I edit the video portion of this, so I'm going to promote. We have a YouTube page. If you want to watch this, it's there. It happens. If you want to see the gags that go on uh, when we're not talking, um, all the juggling that Tony does uh, to keep his mind at work while we're going. Uh, <laughs> if you want to see all those things, you know, please. Everything is still New World Brasscast. You can find us whenever you search the things. Uh, make sure you're leaving reviews and all that sort of thing. It sounds mundane, but man, it really does help with other people finding us. And if you have anybody who you think would be interested in this, please share it. But otherwise, hey, Amy, thank you so much. Tony, thank you so much. I think we'll call it a day.